Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. We're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 236, the late October issue, on sale June 21st of 1988 with a cover price of a dollar. This one's titled Bustin' Loose. Yeah, Bustin' Loose, and, and on the cover of this particular issue is... Uh, Wolverine and Rogue hanging upside down while two magistrates look on. But it's not just that. It's a photograph of that. It is a photograph. uh, And on top of the photograph are some bullets with some spent shells and some as uh, yet unused shells. Appears to be on a wooden table. I don't know who took this photo. Somebody scrawled Magistrates 2 Mutants 0 in the upper right-hand corner of the photo. Maybe it's a postcard. <laughs> uh, greetings from Genosha. Wish you were here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I like this cover, although I, it, it looks hurried. Uh, but it has a sketch-like quality. So I think I would have appreciated this cover if instead of it being a photograph... It was like if there was some like college ruled lines behind them and it just looked like a sketch. I don't know why. I feel like that would be better. Oh, well, okay. But I mean, it's, it isn't, it's, uh, you could just imagine it's drawing paper. I I could, but it's got that white border. Uh, and even the lines, like whoever drew this, like decided not to like make straight lines. (laughs) Everything's like super wavy. Well, that's, that's Silvestri's style. Again, I don't mind it. I like it. Like it's it's far far better than I could do, and it's far better than like a, a lot of a lot of artists do. But it's got a it's got a sketch like quality, uh, and maybe it's because maybe it's because we're bi weekly. Although I don't think he drew last month's cover. He didn't drew the last month's cover or issue. But uh, even like the background behind the magistrates, uh, just I mean, it's just like little pen marks hashing back and forth. There's well, for Silvestri, that's a pretty detailed background. I mean, <laughs> if we go back, his backgrounds are generally uh, empty space. That's true. And this is no exception because above those scratchy little lines, there's there's like a yellow gradient, and that is it. And it's not even that much of a yellow gradient. It's very slight. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that's more of a coloring thing and can't be blamed on Silvestri. Bottom line, like, it's, a, it's a fine cover. I just It's got a very sketch-like quality. It passes the t-shirt test. Totally, man. Put this on a t-shirt. Totally rock this t-shirt out. Yeah, people are like, what's going on here? Like, yeah, you got to go back to 1988 and find out. Man. <laughs> or lady. <laughs> and uh, it is called Busting Loose. They are the X-Men. It's written by Chris Claremont. Mark Silvestri is, in fact, the penciler. Dan Green's the pe- uh, inker. Petra Scottese? Scottese? Sure. Scottese? Let's go Scottese. <laughs> Uh, he's the colorist. Tom Orzakowski is the letterer. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is the magistrate. Oh, clever. I yeah. didn't notice that. He's terrible. <laughs> and uh, the two folks that are busting loose are Wolverine and Rogue. They are naked and beaten up magistrates. I was wondering if they were naked at first from this first panel. You kind of can't tell because you, you you don't realize it right away, but they're conveniently covered up in certain spots. Because we don't know that when you get teleported, as they did via modem guy, <laughs> yes, that uh, you end up naked. This is the first we're learning about that. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, to look at this panel, you might think that Wolverine just doesn't have a shirt on and he's wearing like his, his trunks and his tights and maybe Rogue just, I don't know, maybe she's just got like a one piece swimsuit on. <laughs> no such luck. Nope. They're naked and they're beating everybody up and uh, the magistrates, they retreat behind like a big round Star Wars like door. And somebody, uh, somebody says they came from pipeline of the press gang, just modem them in, uh, which I guess is a interesting way of turning the word modem into a verb. Is that correct? Just modem them in from Australia. You know, I would, I would have probably made it past tense and said, just modem them, modem. That's what, that's what I thought. I mean, you don't, uh. The past tense of Googling something is Googled something. So, I mean, I guess that phenomenon didn't exist back then, but. Someone does ask why he didn't sedate them, which, um, as as I recall, he did sedate them before in the previous issue. So it's a good question because I was wondering, hey, I thought they sedated him. Well, this answers my question. They did sedate him and it didn't take. Yeah, it only lasted enough for the, for Pipeline to modem them in. And as soon as they were modemed in, apparently they woke up and started busting loose. Busting loose. Hence the title. And so everybody falls back. They seal the door and Wolverine pops his claws and just cuts through the door as if it were made out of butter or paper, I guess, as one of the magistrates say. Holy mother, what'll they do to flesh? that's omnium steel a foot thick <laughs> yep doesn't matter though it's like it's like in episode one when obi-wan oh or I, I was thinking that same thing <laughs> but i wasn't gonna say it you know what actually episode one is a lot like this scene in the x-men no actually in episode one it's done a lot better because qui-gon does not cut through the thing like butter it's very slow the the the, the metal starts melting through the lightsaber this is just, like, stupid. Would you say that that scene of qui cutting through the door was the best part of that movie? I like that movie. <sighs> and I'm not going to say, like, I like it in the sense that I like episodes four, five, or six. I'm just saying that I watched it a lot. And I have probably most of it memorized. Did you watch it a lot because it was the first new Star Wars movie in 20-some years? Oh, absolutely. Or did you watch <laughs> it a lot because it was awesome? No, I watched it because it was the first Star Wars movie and I was I was even though even though I recognize that it's not a terribly great movie, I still enjoy it because of that 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 moment of hype when okay. it was just like, I don't care how bad this is, Star Wars. Yeah, all right. That's that's a fair statement. And honestly, I don't I don't think it's as bad as the one that came after it. Nope. <laughs> it's not. I will grant you that. And I think that's when we all woke up out of our <laughs> daydream and was like, wait, <laughs> maybe that first one wasn't so good. Yeah. Uh, uh, one or three? Oh, I prefer one. Yeah. I thought three was a mess. I mean, they're all a mess. Yeah. But three opposed to two is like 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 a genius, like an opus. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> I can't believe you did this. Plus, one had that like lightsaber fight, which in retrospect is not good at all. But when you first saw it, you were like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, this has been talking about episode <laughs> one with Adam and Jeremy. You know, we do this from time to time. You got a free review of one through three. That was our <laughs> review of one through three. Nothing like beating a dead horse. 
<laughs> what? You didn't like episode two either? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that more. Uh, yeah, so Wolverine does cut a circle through the one foot cadmium door or whatever the heck it is. Omnium. And uh, Rogue forces it forward by pushing it into the, the, the dudes. And this is where if there was any da- uh, doubt about their nudeness, it's uh, it's all been shattered because now we have just a little bit of debris covering up Rogue's buttocks and Wolverine's buttocks. Mm-hmm. And we, we cut to some cages on the other side of the uh, the door. So this also reminds me of Star Wars because the guy's like crouching, shooting at Darth Vader. Well, kind of, I guess. But uh, inside of the cages, we have Madeline Pryor and Jenny Ransome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jenny is a mutant, right? We know that because yes. because of last issue. Madeline is not a mutant, so I feel weird. It feels weird to me that they've got her locked up. Well, they locked her up because she doesn't show up on any sensors. Okay. And they were like, that's weird. We don't know what's going on. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Rogue is like, oh, so that's where she and that nurse went. They must have been zapped here, wherever the places that is. Same way we have been, says Wolverine. Rogue gives us our final confirmation when she says, cute stunt, leaving our clothes behind in the process. Come on out, y'all ladies. She rips their cell blocks doors off of their hinges. And at that point, two, um, two of the... What are they? Magistrates. Engineers. Are, oh, they're magistrates? Sure. Is, is that what I, okay. I'm going to go with magistrates. I think you're right. Um, grabs Wolverine by her arms and... Nope, uh, Rogue. Grabs Rogue by her grabs arms. Grabs Rogue by her arms because Wolverine's not a lady. And he and he can't absorb powers. And she does. She is, absorbs their powers and she says, Wolverine, we're someplace called Genosha. And these rowdies are the local Gestapo call themselves magistrates. That's when a priestly-looking man shows up and says, Hardly a Gestapo, my dear. Genosha's a free country. We enforce the law. And he puts his hand out and does something that causes a huge zam on Wolverine and Rogue. They double over, and Rogue's not happy about this. She's about to jump into action, but then she just lands flat on her face. And the uh, old man reveals himself to be named... Wipeout, who is a mutant, and his abilities are to erase other mutants' powers. Whatever your parahuman abilities were, those so-called superpowers, I've erased them. So does it work on everybody? I don't so know. It's like mutants. Would, would this erase Captain America's superpowers? That's a great question. Whatever your parahuman abilities were, I, I don't know. Is Captain America... Are his abilities parahuman? I don't know. I don't know what a parahuman is. I don't know either. Um, For sure, it would work on a mutant. So that's a heck of a power. Yeah. Well, so so then uh, Wolverine must not have a healing factor right now. And and Rogue had uh, loses a lot of powers. She can't fly. She probably don't have super strength. Probably can't absorb powers. Yeah. They're that they're they're both in a world of hurt right now. So we cut over to a bleating alarm clock, biz, ring, zing, bring, and somebody's in bed and throws the clock against the phone. What do you think the significance of his, what is this thing we see on the first panel? It it looks like it says GDC, um, but it also looks like 
Pac-Man with a beard, something, and Pac-Man. <laughs> uh, it's always kind of baffled me, you know, because this is a, this is a I have a, I have an anecdote about this this issue, if you will, if you'll if you'll I, I probably should have led with this, but but now that we're kind of at a, a nice bridge point, um, when I was uh, in this era, 1988, I think is what you said, the summer of 1988, um, I was all over the place, right? My parents were divorced. So I was at one peep, uh, parent's house and then another parent's house. And then I spent like a couple of weeks at my grandparents' house, which was in Michigan. So like buying comic books became very difficult because I either didn't have a comic book store or I, you know, the, the local, uh, corner store didn't carry my comic books. Uh, so this, I didn't actually own the issue before this issue, but I bought this issue and, and, uh, I have a little bit of trivia for you, Adam. Okay. Uh, I, I bought a handful of comics with this comic book, but I bought one in particular that was a uh, Marvel adaptation of a movie. And I want you to guess what... In 1988, what, a Marvel adaptation of a movie. Yes. So summer of 1988. So, I mean, I don't know how long it took to make those adaptations, but a movie that was probably released within six months of this time frame. Let's see. Was it Howard the Duck? It, it was not Howard the Duck. <laughs> um, I feel like so Howard the Duck was earlier. Turn of the Jedi came out in 82 or 84 or something like that. So nope. it wouldn't be that. Nope. Um, maybe an Indiana Jones? No, no, no. Hmm. Back to the Future? I don't know. I'm stumped. I mean, there's a lot of movies <laughs> I could just keep naming keep rattling movies. Up. Uh, it was Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Oh, yeah, I definitely would not have gotten there. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I have to this day never actually seen that movie. Really? Really. I mean, it's, it's, have you seen the first one? Of course. Many times. Well, it's, it's as good as the first one. Right. Like, I don't know why it, I, I, I never watched it, but I, I never watched it. And I bought the uh, movie adaptation along with this. The only reason I bought the movie adaptation was because it was Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey number one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, number one. And then I got it home and I was like, oh, wait, it, this is just a movie adaptation. <laughs> There's never going to be a number two. Um, anyways, so uh, I was in Michigan at this time. I bought these from a corner store. And so they were like pretty much my only source of entertainment. So I read these comics uh, over and over again. And there's a couple of things that trouble me with this particular issue. And we'll get into them, but this is one of them. What does this, is this, is this the clock radio? And what is this green lump that's pointing towards it? Oh, it's a sock. Uh, that's a sock. Okay. Uh, it, this is a TV. You know how mm. um, when broadcasting goes off the air and you get the signal? Yes. Says, it's just like a, a general thing. That's what this is. The GDC. I don't know what GDC stands for, but maybe it's like Genosha Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> it just, it bugs me. Like I, I, I can definitely uh, see the G standing for Genosha, but D and C and it's like, it's so prominently featured here. Like we're supposed to know what this is. Well, it's, 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 I mean, we know that it's a TV cause we can see in the third shot that it's a TV. Do you think maybe instead of this being a D cause it does have a line in the middle. Do you think it's GBC Genosha broadcasting? Sir, it, it's definitely possible. I mean, CBS, ABC, NBC, Company. maybe it is, maybe it is GBC. Genosha Broadcasting Company? 
corporation, whatever. Okay. Well, it bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's okay. Um, do you think on top of his TV, uh, that those little square things kind of to the right of Gumby, uh, do you think that those are Nintendo games or do you think that they are cassette tapes? I think that they are either cassette tapes or VHSs. Mm. And then right next to Gumby is that Vaseline or lotion, <laughs> which is, which is next to his sock, which kind of adds a whole new element to this whole scene. You, <laughs> <laughs> because it is a teenage boy who does not want to get up at 6 a.m. It's very dry in Genosha, and sure. I think it's just some sort of uh, lotion for his skin. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the alarm's going off, uh, and he throws the alarm at the phone, but then I, I guess the alarm and the phone are going off at the same time, because yes. there's bizz, which is the, the alarm, and then ring, bring, which is the phone. So in order to answer the phone, he throws the alarm at the phone, maybe maybe not intentionally meaning to answer the phone, but it knocks the phone off the hook, and somebody on the other line says, hello, hello, Dr. Moreau, this is Magistrate Headquarters, hello? Do you think that Genosha is the island of Dr. Moreau? I think it's a reference to the island of Dr. Moreau, but no. no. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he finally answers the phone. They wonder if it's the gene engineer, and he says, nope, this is his son. And uh, he calls out to his dad, who's in the garden, uh, gardening some roses. He says, we got an emergency at the Citadel. Chief Magistrate, send in a car. Blast, I'll never have a decent day in this garden. And later, the kid gets dressed, and he, you can see he has a GSU t-shirt. So that's probably Genosha State University. Sure. Um, Genosha, assuming. they have a flying car that, that shows up. Uh, Gene Engineer makes a reference to America, says, as the Americans say, with great power comes great responsibility, referring to the fact that he's going to go into the office. Do Americans say that? Is that a thing that Americans say? Or is that just Spider-Man? Pretty sure it's just Spider-Man, but maybe, maybe Spider-Man said it, and in 1988, it more or less went viral. <laughs> I think Spider-Man doesn't go around saying it either. I think it was mainly just Uncle Ben, and that guy's dead. Yeah. Well, I think Spider-Man says it, and he reminds himself from time to time. But does he say it out loud? Yeah, he probably does. You know, he probably lectures some of his villains. I imagine that in the hundreds of uh, issues of Spider-Man, he has lectured Electro or the Rhino and dropped those words. Now, how it got from there to Genosha, I have no idea. (laughs) There was a, a music video I saw uh, a while ago of when John Bon Jovi was trying to revitalize his career. And in the music video, John Bon Jovi's just walking down the street singing his song, and he draws like a, I don't remember what it was, some design, and it picks up like wildfire. Like people start seeing it and start copying it, and then it ends up on TV, and then it's across the country and it's across the world. And then John Bon Jovi's looking at a TV, he's like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> and I was like, God, I wonder if this is from the imagination of John Bon Jovi. Does he really think that he can just draw something on a wall and it'll go worldwide uh, viral like that? Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> so when was John Bon Jovi trying to revitalize his career? I mean, he's pretty much set at this point. Oh, I don't know. Like, you know, in the 80s, like probably around this time frame, he was living on a prayer and all that stuff. And then, you know, I, I would 
say, 10, 15 years went by where you didn't hear much about John Bon Jovi. Oh, absolutely. But and I mean, he had like, a, know, he kind of had like a welcome back album slash tour. I mean, he will never have hits that are as universally popular as those ones, but does he really need any? No, but I mean, he, he was making a comeback and I think he played like a halftime show or an opener for the Super Bowl. I mean, it was early 2000s when, when all this was oh. happening, but. Okay. Yeah, anyways. So, yeah, the, the Gene Engineer gets on this ship uh, or, or rocket car, whatever you want to call it, and it ruins the lawn. Garden Hurt comes, says says a, a mutate who starts walking over to the garden. Uh, he's a, a bald fellow, and he's dressed in a mutate outfit. He has the number 7781 both on his shoulder and written across his head. One thing that um, has not been done well in this issue is if you go back and you reread this, this is the first time you're seeing kind of the mutant outfit. It's like a skin tight. It almost looks like it could just be like a tattooed on uniform. Uh, if you go back, you'll see that Madeline, Jenny Ransom and ultimate, and, uh, I guess it's just those two at this point are actually wearing these outfits, but they're so pushed back into shadows. You, you really can't tell. And there's a lot of things that happen in this issue that are just like shadow, shadow, shadow. Okay, here's a bright colored f- panel, and now you see what's happening. Mm, I mean, I, it's I, not I, a bad. It's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that Jenny Ransom and Madeline are also wearing similar outfits as this guy. I mean, we'll get a better a better view of those outfits later. I mean, this is the I guess this is the first time we're really seeing it. Yeah, but it doesn't really matter though. I mean, we're getting a sense of we're we're still figuring out Genosha at this point. Yep. And so he, uh, the guy, 7781, I guess we'll call him, he puts his hands into the ground and he's able to um, fix the ground. He says, fix good boss, fix good as new. And he wipes his hands off. And the the kid says, fix it, will you, boy? Not even giving this guy a name. Right. So it's seems to me like it's kind of an allegory for slavery where maybe if you've grown up with this all your life you don't think twice about it because that's what these people are for oh absolutely so he's probably not a bad guy he just doesn't realize that what he's the way he's treating 7781 probably isn't nice and i'm assuming we'll find out more about why 7781 isn't that bright but i could i could just be misremembering that i don't remember to be honest but as Gene Engineer is heading towards the Citadel, he's getting debriefed by somebody, a girl, a woman, a magistrate. And uh, he's like, oh, patch me into the surveillance camera of their cells. And she says, we can't. I beg your pardon? They're invisible to our scanners. They can be seen with the naked eye, but no other way. Fascinating conundrum, eh, chief? So it turns out he is talking to the chief of the magistrates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also has no name. And I guess the Gene Engineer's name, I mean, I guess we knew this, but confirmation, his name is Dr. Moreau. I guess I didn't really know that because I think he's only referred to as Dr. Moreau twice in this whole story. So the chief here takes the Gene Engineer over to the cells to show him the mutants that they've caught. Uh, They get to Wolverine's cell and she says something like, uh, she says they're, 
not in our native computer net, and every time we try to interface with an overseas database, private, public, government, wide open, or totally secured, we get a null response. The com- Computex theorize a virus program in operation. So incredibly sophisticated, we can't even begin to isolate it. I want to ask you a question, Adam. Further, it erases every reference, no matter how slight, to our prisoners. Is this, and I hope it is. I wish there was an asterisk that confirmed it, but do you think that this is a callback to that issue so long ago where Wolverine and Carol Danvers uh, get into the Pentagon and upload the virus to erase Fred Duncan's files on them? Did they did they upload a virus? Yes. Uh, 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 Carol Danvers and Wolverine, uh, they sneak into the Pentagon. They they see Rogue, because Rogue's there with the uh, with Mystique for some reason, and then they fight for a while. But then Carol Danvers makes it to the computer system. She uploads the virus, and then she pulls up her own file about Captain Marvel, and she's like, huh, maybe it's time for me to have a new beginning, and she erases her file. I remember that. I thought she just erased the files, but I, I suppose it could have, could have been a virus. I assume that this was a reference to whatever Romo was doing, where it was uh, where she wiped out their their visibility to the world and this was kind of a uh uh not necessarily a virus but more of a, a mystical sort of thing every time they type something in it, it erases it even further but i like your way too i think it works both ways I, I i do too and i don't think any thought was really given to it i think chris claremont just wrote it and uh uh he, he was probably thinking that this was maybe related to the roma uh, thing, but as you read the rest of this issue, I think it would be such a cool, um, such a cool element if if this is a reference to what they did way back when with Wolverine and Carol Danvers. Yeah, this would be a good place for a uh, a nice little caption way back in issue two twenty five. Wow, dude, it was like one eighty six or one sixty seven, or it was really it was a long time ago. Well, I don't even know what issue we're on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um. So Wolverine, we they, we see Wolverine in his cell, and he is. I when I first saw this panel, I just thought he was like chilling, but I guess he's unconscious. We learn later that he's he's uh, he's not he, he's not as comfortable as he looks. Yeah, which I think is just a bad drawing on Mark Silvestri's part. For from my vantage point, he just looks like he's chilling out. Right. Uh, we know from previous X Men episodes that given the or X Men issues that given. The chance in a battle Wolverine will rest, save his strength for the battle. So you can almost look at this as like, okay, he's in a cell. He's just going to rest, save up his energy. And as soon as the opportunity strikes, Wolverine's going to spring into action. That's how I would see this panel uh, to your point. But we learn later he's unconscious. Yeah. So they move on to Rogue's cell and she's huddled into a corner. She's burying her face in her arms and Jean Jr. is like, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with that girl? She's been like that ever since her capture. I'm afraid some of my new my officers took a few liberties when she was being processed. What they thought was fun, she evidently felt was something else. Those responsible have been disciplined. It won't happen again. Yep. And so uh, this is the other – I don't have a problem with this, but it's, it's, very, it's very dark. <laughs> well, it is and it isn't. Um, at this point, yes, it is very dark. And I was, and I was reading it and I was like, whoa, um, it gets cleared up a little bit later. Oh, we'll, um, we'll have to talk about that. Cause I, we'll, I, we'll have to talk about that. I think it's confirmed later. Well, it is confirmed later, but it's also, 
uh, made less dark, I think. But we yeah we can talk about it. We will. It's it's pretty dark. But anyway, like at this point, we don't know what that means. Right. We can we can uh, infer some things, and maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong. Took a few liberties when she was processed. What I mean, what they thought was fun, she evidently felt was something else. That that sounds like it wasn't too much, because I mean, I if it know. was really bad, I think it would be universally thought of as bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or, or this chief person is just soft selling what, what actually occurred because the drawing itself is stark, right? It's, it's like everything's black. She's kind of illuminated by just the opening of the, uh, little view viewing. Uh, and she's just in the corner, very small in the panel, just, just holding herself. And I feel like we've seen enough television shows where we're like, Oh, I know what that means. Ugh. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and that is how you feel. And and it's actually uh, a little bit of a genius that they do do it this way, but I I don't think I think it becomes a little clear later. Okay. Uh, and so yeah, Gene Engineer's like, I thought your people were professionals, and Chief's like, eh, humans, you know, they're fallible. Anyways, moving on. Looks like these people are a part of a bigger team. I understand some magistrates were captured by the Australian authorities in the engagement in Australia from before. And the apparently the press gang is working on it, and we cut over to Australia where we we see the uh, the press gang lurking around, and then we see the prisoners uh, from the last issue that were captured by the Australian authorities, just kind of sitting around in their cell, and then the X Men emerge into that cell, and we have Colossus and Storm and Psylocke. Storm says, as usual, my friends, Gateway has teleported us precisely where we need to go. Why? Why? I mean, why did Colossus come with them? Um, Because he's, he's scary looking. I guess. But here's the thing is like Storm, they show up, which is surprising enough to them. Storm is the leader of the X-Men. So it makes sense that she's here. She wants some information. Uh and Betsy is there because she is going to use her telepathic powers to extract the information. I don't know why they need Colossus here, but whatever. He's there. He's the muscle. I guess. He's, you know, he's like, uh, just in case they they give them trouble physically, he can, he can hold them down or whatever. You don't think Storm and Psylocke can handle a couple of humans? Well, Psylocke's a little busy because she's doing her mind melding thing and... I guess maybe just Storm felt she could use an extra hand. Yeah, you're right. Storm could probably handle it on her own. Maybe it's like Glasses asked to go along. Oh. I would really like to go. I am bored today. Can I come on mission? Uh, and the, so the magistrates are like, we're not going to talk. Storm says, you will not have to. Psylocke, he is yours. And Psylocke probes his mind. And uh, we get a big panel of essentially all of the atrocities the uh, magistrates ki- kidnapping, ripping uh, mutants from their homes, torturing them, um, killing them. Mutates with numbers on their heads, um, you know, being tortured, as you mentioned. Lots of people with guns, uh, skulls. Um, looks like somebody's being electrocuted in the bottom left-hand corner. Betsy, nasty. Betsy freaks out. She's like, "Butchers! May you rot for what you've done. May you burn." And. Uh, Colossus is only here as like a moral compass, like, Psylocke, stop, will you kill these men? No, Colossus, that would be too quick, too easy. 
and then the uh, the I guess the the guys are being tortured as well because they're all I know mercy, so they must be feeling the same thing that Psylocke is feeling. Yeah, I imagine that she's not being gentle about her her information extraction, and probably the mental anguish she's feeling is probably being projected upon them. Right. So. Anyways, uh, they've learned what they need, so they hop into the into Gateway's portal and leave. They don't yeah. kill the magistrates, and they're the X-Men. They're not going to just kill these people. Right. So, yeah, Colossus was useless, but he was there just in case. And then I guess the press gang gets there, or they punch their way into the jail cell. I don't know. Way to go, punch out. Subtle as they is long. Yeah, they're Quick. sneaking into the jail and they're going to break their people out. Yep. And we get a really unnecessary and quick scene of those three, uh, Storm, Psylocke, and Colossus returning to Alaska, I'm sorry, Australia, picking up Dazzler and Longshot and Havoc, and then getting back into the portal. It's not necessary. Like, could have skipped this and done, like, a cut to something else and whatever. Feels like they're stretching pages here. Eh, uh, just one page. And then uh, in the computer terminals, Nyastrieth shows up. He says, "We're uh, not going to call him that, are we?" Nastier, Nastier, Nastier. Yeah, I'm just going to go with Nastier. Or if you really want to get that H in there, Nastier. Nastier. He says, "M told me to get in touch with you regarding some special merchandise you're interested in, but since you're not about, have a nice. Or I'll ring back later. Have a nice day." So this this is the Australian complex, the X-Men's Australian complex that uh, Astir is attempting to contact, presumably, Madeline? Yes. Um, the special merchandise, I think we can draw some conclusions, but if you can't, I won't spoil it. Okay. Can you draw the conclusion? No, but maybe <laughs> okay. I can and I don't even realize it. All right. Uh, it's been sprinkled about within like our power pack issues. It's kind of hinted at in the exterminators issue we'll talk about later. Okay. Yeah. You're talking about children. Yes. But I'm not sure what he's referring to. I think he's referring to. Like which children specifically? I think he's referring to her baby. Oh, okay. I feel, I feel like off panel. We didn't see it, but I feel like off panel, Madeline's like, sit him. I want my baby. And he's like, oh, baby, yeah. back, baby, back, baby, back. <laughs> so him so will make some phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> Let me contact Astor. <laughs> yes. And uh, and then Madeline gets herself kidnapped. And now here we are dealing with this whole situation. OK. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So Gene Janier's son back in Genosha, he's he's running some laps, he's pushing them, he's picking them up and sitting them back down. One more circuit and then shower and breaker and... What do you think? What's breaker? Breaker. Oh, breakfast. Maybe that's Genosian slang for breakfast. Oh. Y'all gonna breaker? <laughs> <laughs> Just using all sorts of weird things as verbs. Uh, that's when the flying... Police cars show up and they they show up at Jenny's house and he, Jenny Ransom's house and he's like, "What's going on? They're arresting his her family." And and it turns out Jenny Ransom is his neighbor. Yeah, he run he runs up. He's like, "What are you doing? This is a this is a mistake. Mister Ransom's a government minister." 
Somebody grabs him and says, well, we're magistrates, boy, and nobody is above the law. Not ministers and especially not smart mouth punks. It's too stupid to do as they're told. And he grabs him by the neck and forces him against the police car. He's about to beat the crap out of him with his whammy stick. And somebody says, hey, you crazy, Jan? I recognize that boy. He's the engineer's son. Uh, yeah, and and that's when uh, does engineer's son have a name yet? I don't think he does. Let's just call him GSU for now. Sonny, Sonny. So GSU, he the, uh, some some startling realizations start coming to him. He's like he's he was going to hit me, and uh, he's just seen what's happened to his neighbor. Presumably, he knew Jenny. Maybe maybe grew up with Jenny. Ransom. Philip. His name is Philip. Philip, that's right. Uh, and he's sweating, and, and the, the magistrate there is like, oh, you're not going to do anything. Like, oh, I, I, I wasn't nothing. Let's just pretend this thing never happened. I'll make it worth your while. Hey, don't go. Just don't tell your dad about our little encounter. And uh, Philip, he goes running off. And we turn our attention to Rogue, who is now laying down. She's huddled. She's got her foreheads furrowed. I mean, she's distressed. And okay, and this is this is what I'm talking about. This panel here, mm-hmm. basically, what what is being explained here is that Rogue is a person who is unable to be touched by anybody, and this is the first time she was touched aggressively by somebody, and that's why she's reacting to this. So I think this panel kind of lessens the amount that they they touched her. I think they were just kind of forceful where they're shoving her around. Mm, I don't and and she was responding to that. Keep in mind also she was naked, so maybe like no. somebody copped a feel or something like that, but I I don't think it was anything any darker than than her being touched and this is this is a person that uh has never been touched before, and now she's being touched inappropriately, and she doesn't like it. Yeah, but I think I, I don't know. For so long, she dreamed of being able to touch another person without her power, absorbing his her psyche, to hold, to caress, to kiss, just like any other normal teenage girl. In those dreams, it was the most beautiful of the moments. She never imagined being handled against her will. Small wonder then. Her response is to withdraw as deeply into her mind as it's possible to go to the lowest depths of her primal subconscious. And this is a really, I think this was a really good idea of Chris Claremont's is like, what if somebody who can't touch anybody is suddenly aggressively touched? How do they respond? No, I, I, I do not disagree with that part at all. I do think you're underselling it because the first part of it is all they did was touch her. Rude hands, ruder glances, taunting promises of more to come. She couldn't stop them. And then all the other texts that you read to me, it means that like, I don't think that they like, like full on like raped her or anything, but I, I feel like the male magistrates probably took their time and stared and ogled and, and touched her like all over the place. And she couldn't, she was power, like, as you said, powerless to do anything about it. Uh, well, I don't. I don't think she was molested. I think she was just aggressively handled. I don't um, know. And may and maybe 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 a little bit towards molestation, especially in her mind. But I I think it's like because it, it you find out later that it's a guy and a girl who are the the ones that are the the ones who I know and uh, that that handled her that even gets weirder right because if 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 you go my route and you say like she was molested and then you go to the guy and the gal who come in and want to finish off the job you're like well that's weird <laughs> well I don't I don't think it's a sexual thing I guess is what I'm saying I don't know man 
maybe you're right. Maybe they they just like like I don't know. But see, the the weird thing is, um, but but I agree with you because that was the feeling that I got. Like for the first panel, you see her stuffed into the corner and you're just like oh my god that's really dark so yeah i mean i see where you're coming from i i think i I just i just think this saves it from that darkness see and 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 where i'll disagree is that uh when when she snaps out of it and she's we're back in the real world because now we are in the primal subconscious we'll talk about that in a second if she was like bruised and had like a black eye and stuff i'd be like oh they like they like chained her up and they like punched her and whipped her and like they, they beat her up. Um, but she doesn't have any signs of bruises or black eyes or anything. I don't, I don't think they beat her up. I think they just manhandled her. I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe, but in any event, she's, uh, she's in her subconscious. And I think the other thing here, she's wearing like from toe, to her neck like a like a like she's clad from the toes to the neck like there's not a, a only her face not even her hands are exposed to me that's just i don't know there's everything about the way that this is told and drawn just seems to me like a lot of liberties were taken and yeah and but you're imagining that from the perspective of somebody who has a familiarity with touch and she she doesn't so it is being you know drawn out of proportion a maybe, little bit maybe although you know I'm not saying she's being uh overreactionary just that th- this is how somebody who got who got manhandled for the first time who whose, whose entire life she wasn't able to touch anybody might feel so sure. i don't know that that's what i think it's um it's the other line though to hold caress to kiss just like any other normal teenage girl to me it seems like uh that line is put in there because she wanted all those things, but when she finally got them, uh, and maybe there wasn't any kissing involved, but it, when she finally got those uh, sensations, it was done not – it was done against her will. And so yeah, to I, want I, something for so long and then have it you know, be in that fashion could cause somebody to recede into their subconscious and uh, withdraw. I think you're reading into it too much. I don't think she got those exact things that she was wanting. Well, no, she didn't get anything she wanted. Let's be clear. She, well, I know, but I'm I'm just saying like she didn't get the bad version of those things either. Okay. I don't I don't think. Uh, you're right. It's subject to interpretation because let us know what you think. <laughs> it's a comic book there. and they're not going to say and then they touched her boobs and she didn't like it. It's just not a thing that they're going to say. So uh, it could be either. I mean, uh, you you have a valid point. Oops, you have a valid point there. So that's just what I think it was, and I thought that was really smart. Uh, so, anyways, in her subconscious, she's seeing the silhouettes and characters of many of the folks over her life that she's uh, touched and absorbed powers from. You got Juggernaut, Captain America, Thor's back there, Loki, Nightcrawler couple magistrates you got spiral thing uh you've got one of those um what's that guy the guy with the, the alien guy yeah what was that guy i don't remember the guy the guy from rom i don't remember the next panel has things uh thing in it yep thing spiral and then uh you've got north star on the next page and then in th- those folks are all silhouetted but in full color in the foreground you have carol danvers Carol Danvers, you're solid as me. And Carol Danvers said, 
They're residents. They're residual memories, psychic leftovers. I'm real. And this is why it would be so cool that this issue dovetailed back to that issue where Wolverine and Carol Danvers broke into the Pentagon. I think. Well, how would that how would that connect? I don't know because like, because Carol Danvers is here, and what's going to happen next? Would, like Carol Danvers would bring it up and like remember the time that I put that virus in. I saved your life. I saved your cookies, toots. No, it's just like. It's just a neat little reference. And, and not only do we refer back to that, but look, here she is. And she's having a little, uh, uh, not psychic battle, but she's uh, inside of Rogue's head. Rogue is having difficulty coping with what has just happened to her. And Carol's like, there's only one way that we can survive this. And that's if you let me take over and trust me. And afterwards, what's to prevent you staying in charge? Carol says, I'd be within my rights. You stole my memories, my powers, personality, permanently from my rightful body. As much as murdered me, why shouldn't I take control of yours? Right. I was fighting for my life. There's no other way, Rogue. You have to trust me. And that's when her eyes open and she's no longer scared. She's no longer timid. She's got, she's got, uh, she's got hate in her eyes, maybe. And that's when the two magistrates, a male and a female, come in and they're like, we're going to stop or we're going to finish what we started. He don't want you touched, but guess what? We don't care. Gene Janeer have our butts and badges. He knew what we were about. And I think here they're just going to beat the crap out of her. Yeah. I mean, you can read more into it, but I don't I don't think it's any more than that. She says, remember us, skunk hair? You stole our minds before Wipeout nailed you. Now we're going to get even. I think they're just planning to beat the crap out of her yeah i i, I th- this is where it gets uh like if you go down my path this is weird because you do have a guy and a girl here you'd think one of them probably the woman would be like oh you know what um i could be punch her a couple of times but uh like we can't molest her and that's partly why i don't think they're that's part of their intention right and i think they're just set out to get revenge because th- these are the two that earlier grabbed her and she's the one that kind of stole the information about where they were from and probably knocked them unconscious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe with her, with her powers, the the light version of this now is, is, is kind of what you're saying. Do you think they just kind of toss her around and I, I, I yeah, I think they're tossing her around and I think they're overly aggressive with her kind of probably pushing her. Maybe one of them punches her in the stomach or something. I don't know. Hmm. Or maybe, maybe they kind of slap her. Maybe, uh, but it doesn't matter because she is, uh, she's back and she's got her wits about her. She does three moves. She elbows the guy in the stomach, punt, kick, uh, knees him in the chin and then kicks the lady in the face. Well, she's not back. It's Carol Danvers that is back. Well, right. And she thinks to herself, three K three moves, two KOs in as many seconds. Nice to see. I haven't lost my touch. And she starts unzipping the guy. And in the next panel, she is dressed in a full magistrate outfit. And she uh, she's in Wolverine's cell. I don't know how she got in here. They must have left it open. Or maybe she got the stole the keys from somebody. Yeah, she got the keys. Up and at him, wild boy. And that's when we learned that uh, Logan is, in fact, unconscious. I thought he was shamming, playing possum as I did, but he's really out. Logan! And that's when he's whispering that voice. I never figured to hear it again. You top psyche, Carol, in the kid's skull. 
Seemed like a brilliant idea at the time. You look awful, chum. Feel worse. Soon as we're clear of this dump, I'll get you some help. You'll be fine. You're lying, but I appreciate the thought. And he goes on to say, I'll just slow you down. You get out of here. And then we get some backstory. You said the same thing to me that night you rescued me from the KGB. You didn't listen then. I'm not about to listen now. So they dress Wolverine as a magistrate and they start walking. Uh, they start leaving the cells. I, I guess they're going to go get Madeline and Jenny to try to break them out. But they've been moved. Their cells are now empty. As is Jenny Ransom's. And yeah, so uh hate to say uh, she they, they wonder where they are. And Wolverine says, I hate to say it, but I'm glad I don't know. And that's when Philip, the gene engineer's son, is doing some research in the gene engineer's office, the study. She's looking up some information on Jenny Ransom. We find out that her codex ident is 9817, and she's got genetic structural modifications to increase height, mass, and upper body musculature. She can't be a mutant dad because uh, her dad, Moreau, breaks in. Well, we also, before that, uh, the, the computer goes on to say, consistent with work orientation and heavy industry, uh, maximize epidermal, blah, blah, blah. So we are now getting more confirmation that Genosha, and I think we knew this already, but they they index the powers and then match them up to an industry that they would be a good fit for. Although we learn a little bit more about that in a, in a couple of panels. Uh, the the gene engineer comes in and and Philip turns to him and says, "There's got to be some mistake. She can't be mutant, Dad. We're practically engaged." Yep, make no mistake or no no mistake, Philip. No engagement. You know the law. I'm sorry. I don't know how any gentle way to tell this, but she's gene positive. But she isn't. She can't be. We were both tested together and we both passed. And it turns out that. Jenny Ransom's father betrayed her office and switched Jenny's file with another girl, and that girl died during the modification process, which they were able to trace back to, I guess, her father. I understand a father, the father's desire to protect his child, but at the cost of another child and innocent life, no law, no one is above the law. Yeah, it sounds like the Jenny Ransom's dad did not have a very thought-out plan. No, no, it <laughs> doesn't it's like he didn't know how the system works or something yes like as soon as those results were replaced and that woman died wasn't it like oh the jig's up philip points out that they are changing her and uh that's when the gene engineer says well she she possesses a latent empathy which means she will most likely uh her offspring will most likely be healers but we already have a sufficiency in that field and what we need are metal shapers for the Mayans and Forges, so I'm restructuring her genetic matrix to not only activate her power, but to reorient it in such a way that instead of bending flesh to her will, she'll cut through rock, shape, stone, and steel. So not only did they figure out where she's best suited, but they're changing that because they don't have a need for it. So Gene Engineer, does he have powers to do this, or is he just operate machinery that does this? I guess he's like one of those brilliant scientist types who understands genes and, and DNA structures and whatnot. And he probably has some super cool computer program that he's able to manipulate. Okay. So then back at the Citadel, we've got... It's probably like in the movie Hackers when it's all super visual. Oh, that'd be so cool. Or Jurassic Park. Linux, I know this! <laughs> it's, he doesn't say Linux. He says Unix. 
Oh, is it Unix? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Back then, nobody knew what Linux was. Okay. And, and only people had a passing understanding of what Unix was. <laughs> Anyways, um, Madeline and Jenny are uh, strapped down to some tables, and they keep talking about the ransom girl registers, but the other doesn't. Uh, other woman doesn't. So we're going to have to examine her manually. And suddenly on the TV, Nastier shows up and says, there you are, my lady. You're a difficult person to get hold of. Oh, forgive me. Have I called it an inconvenient time? And it looks like Madeline kind of turns to the TV and says, later. And what does that mean? Is it kind of like a cool, like, I'm handling the situation. I'll talk to you later. Or I don't know. It's weird. I like to I like to imagine that she's just like later. I don't have time for well, you right now. Well, yeah, I think so because he then says, "Your slightest wish is my command," and then disappears by blowing up the TV. Yeah. So I don't know if her wish was like, "I'm going to say later," but my mind is saying like, "You should cause a distraction so I can get out of the situation." Granted, now she doesn't have any idea who Astier is. I'm not sure why she would say later if she was thinking something else. Why wouldn't she just say what she was thinking? I don't, it's 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 weird. I'm not really sure either. But uh, it has the result of the TV blowing up and everyone kind of getting confused. Uh, meanwhile, Good Lord says somebody. Um, Carol now, Carol Rogue and Wolverine are in the hangar and uh, they're going to steal a plane. I think the whole complex has had a power failure. So Aster also knocked the power out and they said, well, this is it. We'll never have a better chance. So they, they uh, are about to spring into action when some magistrates show up from behind them. Hate to say it, Ace, but I don't think it's going to be quite that easy. And then we see a panel of looks like an explosion where three guys are getting tossed from the explosion. But I guess Wolverine is the explosion. I don't know, it's weird because neither of them have their powers, so they shouldn't just be flying out from behind an airplane. Also, Wolverine popping his claws should be like, ow, uh, darn that hurts. Yeah, spoilers, it will be, but right now it's just fine, don't worry about it. Because uh, these wounds that I just caused in my hand, they ain't gonna heal. Yeah. And so, yes, Wolverine and Carol, they're fighting, Wolverine gets punched in the face and he goes down, he's like, whoa... It's been a long time since a normal fella knocked me down. Warn you, I'm too much of a liability, Ace. And to be fair, that that normal fella does break his hand. Yep. <laughs> Which is kind of a funny panel. Ow, ow, my hand. Ow, ow. <laughs> uh, Carol says, strap yourself in and we'll pull a Millennium Falcon out of the bargain basement Death Star. So they hop into one of the airplanes and they fly away. Pity it won't blow up behind us. Oh, no, she says that. Pity it won't blow up behind us. I There's no way that Wolverine's ever seen Star Wars. You don't think so? No. But he knows about it. Nah, I don't know. Maybe he hasn't seen it. Or maybe he's just rolling with it, and he's just like, maybe next time. Yeah. Problem is making sure there. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm just going to keep talking like I do. You're right. I, I don't have time to care about whatever this Death Star crap is. <laughs> I feel like Wolverine, in all of his forms and all of his uh, stages of evolution, is completely blind to pop culture. <laughs> I feel like his his life is probably right. fighting and um, escaping to the wilderness of Canada. <laughs> He's never seen a movie, movie or a TV show or anything. You're probably right. <laughs> and uh, so they fly off. Uh, no worse a situation than when you smuggled me out of Mother Russia. 
And Wolverine's like, all you do is talk about our old stuff. Stop it. <laughs> I had my powers back then. You'll get them back. We're pros, Logan. We'll adapt. We'll survive. And in the end, I guarantee we'll make these clowns re regret they ever laid eyes on us. Next, who's human in two weeks? Oh, yeah. So the Genosha uh, saga is in full swing. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's pretty good stuff. I feel like it's very quickly paced, uh, which isn't a bad thing. Although I feel like there's a little bit of there, the, the, the story in this issue could have used a little bit slower pace. But I don't think so. I think it was it was action movie speed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a fine issue. Um, not complaining, but. Could could have moved a little slower for my taste, but uh, I, I I am in. I would have liked. I would like to see more um, Genosha of just like the day to day happenings in Genosha, even if it was just like uh, a, a like a page worth of panels sprinkled throughout the comic of just showing kind of mutants uh, doing humdrum daily things. We're getting we're getting the gist of it, I think, and we'll probably oh, we see are. more. We are, but I mean, it's. It's at least three issues, if if not more. I don't remember. Yeah. And plus, we'll see more later. So, I mean, we we'll, we'll always come back. Yeah, yeah. I think the 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 core of this issue was busting loose. Yeah, man. And, and uh, true to the title's word, they totally busted loose. Oh yeah. <laughs> so with with that out of the way, uh, we did get some some communique. Oh, did we? We did. We got a Facebook message from uh, Jason Alberson. He says, just in time for the first Genosha arc, I got a record player for Christmas and found this single at a record store in Tampa. It's a single uh, of oh, Never Stop, the Front 242 song I talked about a few weeks ago. Oddly enough, it had a receipt in it from when it was purchased from another record store in Tampa from 1999. That was you, wasn't it? I was probably the only other... No, I never owned any Front 242 on vinyl, so couldn't have been me. Uh, not sure if it was used then or not, but zero skips, so I got to hear Genosha, plain as day. And uh, What the heck does that mean? Zero Is zero a song? What? No, zero skips. Like, the record didn't skip. Oh, there are no skips. Okay, yes. I get it. That was like, <laughs> zero skips. I was like, oh, that sucks. Uh, zero is my favorite song. By 1989 or 1999, I feel like that vinyl would have also been used because I feel like that album came out. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna say like 1989, maybe 1990, 1974. No, no, that's that would be Kraftwerk time frame. No. <laughs> uh. Anyways, yeah. So uh, check it out if you actually. You know what? I think they pulled most of Front Two Four Two from Apple Music. But if you get an opportunity, play uh. Is it on Spotify? I don't know. Probably. Uh, never stop. And uh, I played a little bit of it on the podcast. They're either saying Kenosha, which is a city near me, or Genosha. Which is not a city near you. Totally not a city by me. We did get another piece of uh, uh, mail telling us that Genosha was just off the coast of South Africa. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think he said, uh, they, they, whoever it was, said it was... Uh, um, to the east of Madagascar and the north of somewhere else. Which I think they further flesh out the geographic location in Extinction Agenda, 
or maybe next issue. I don't, I don't remember. But as of right now, I would assume that it's right next to Australia based on the storytelling. That was Alexander Axel who wrote that Genosha is a small island off the coast of Africa, just a little north of Madagascar and east of Kenya. It's a good thing I looked that up because I said it was east of Madagascar, which would have been confusing. But I did happen to look at that area on a map and I uh, was because I was just curious to see if there was an actual island in that area and there is not, but still it's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we also got a voice message from Alex, uh, who wanted to clear up some misinformation we had between Arnim Zola and Modok. I think we got it. Arnim Zola was the character you were talking about in Captain America and Modok's the big head. Yeah, sometimes we have conversations after the podcast in which we're like, boy, we really screwed that up. <laughs> and then we don't edit it out because we respect you listeners too much to mess with your intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. He talked, he says, he goes on to say, you talked about reviewing um, some of the movies that have previously come out. He thinks it's a great idea. And he thinks that if Disney does uh, do things with the X-Men movie franchise, he would like to see Kitty Pride and Emma Frost uh, as the hero and villain, respectively, uh, that are focused uh, on doing their thing. Um, which, yeah, I mean, I think you have to build up before you can do like a, a Kitty Emma Frost um, um, thing storyline. Right, it worked. Well, I mean, not necessarily. It worked I mean, well in Aston- Astonishing X Men, but you are also had like twenty years of established <laughs> X Men lore, and the fact that uh, Emma Frost tried to kidnap Kitty to her school. Well, that could be the the story. It could just be like a weird, to just it'll be, it'll be called Kitty and Emma, and it'll just be about kitty pride going to the massachusetts school where she got she the emma frost tries to indoctrinate her into the hellfire club and that's what the movie is about and it has no other tie-ins and anybody going to go see it would be like who are these people but because it was a marvel movie you would come out of it still being like yeah kitty pride (laughs) i've always liked kitty pride uh i i was thinking about this and i don't mean to rehash or 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 even come close to the conversation we had about x-men universe movies last last time but after reading the genosha saga i almost feel like you could just start an x-men franchise with that that's a great idea just like that could be their introduction into the marvel universe and might help to explain why up until this point in the marvel cinematic universe you haven't heard of mutants or x-men because of the stuff that was happening on genosha and yeah, that, that that could be a very neat movie and would kind of fit with some of the darker themes that uh, uh, some of these movies deal with. And I wouldn't film it dark like a DC movie I'd try to lighten it up a little bit. But I think it there's enough context here uh, that you could have a, a nice, compelling story and bring the X-Men to the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then, then they could go off and do their own adventures. When it comes down to it, we don't know what they're going to do. It's fun yeah. to speculate, but ultimately they're going to do what they do. And they've got a pretty good track record, so hopefully it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I, I think the only uh, regret I have is that we don't know anything yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's all I want is just, just drop us a little teaser. Like, I keep hoping that, I, like, I know this isn't going to happen, but I think Carol Danvers or the the Captain Marvel movie 
would just be like a picture perfect from a fanboy standpoint place to introduce us to Wolverine. He doesn't even have to have the costume or pop his claws, but he can just show up and be like, yo, Ace, what's up? Could be. And he's like, okay, we're, we're getting some X-Men. Like, he doesn't have to do anything. Just like they have a relationship and oh, now Captain Marvel's off into space doing whatever she's doing. It's not going to happen, the only, but it'd be yeah, awesome. it, the only reason it's not going to happen is because we would know by now that Wolverine was cast. Yeah. Or there uh, are no secrets in Hollywood. Post credit scenes are usually kept pretty hush hush until the movie is released. So yeah, they, they can be. Yeah. So, and at, at, at any rate, I don't, I don't think we're going to hear anything yeah. until after Avengers four or Endgame or whatever they're calling it is over. And then we'll probably start hearing a ton of stuff. And most of it will be wrong. <laughs> I concur. But uh, as as the juicy tidbits come out, uh, you can bet your bottom dollar we will be incorrectly speculating on all of them. <laughs> uh, that is a guarantee. <laughs> so, yes, if uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us or help us speculate on any of these things, please reach out to us, uh, www.xmenpodcast.com. Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go. You can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Subscribe to our podcast or leave us some ratings uh, on iTunes. Just go out to iTunes podcast section, type in Danger Room. We're the first podcast that'll show up. Or you can leave us a voice message, 501-GET-X-MEN. That's 501-438-9636. Uh, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, And I want to mention uh, www.patreon.com forward slash danger room. Uh, we've had a few uh, contributions and for that, we're very thankful. Uh, but I did want to point out, cause I don't know that we've, we've done uh, a really good job with this. I think we talked about it and now, now we're doing it. Uh, we have a, a goal, a Patreon goal that you can help us get to. Uh, and that is if we reach 25 patrons, which 25, come on. Uh, we, I had to start small. Yeah, no, no, that's a perfectly low number. Like, no problem. We should be able to hit this, right, team? Uh, five, uh, sorry, 25 patrons. We'll do a podcast X-Men, a uh, podcast episode on the first X-Men movie. And Adam, I wanted to clarify what that means. Is that like, like one of our like our review movies like we do after X-Men First Class and Logan and such? Or is it like actually like a commentary track? It, it was a loaded question. I already have an answer lined up. <laughs> oh, okay. At, at 25 <laughs> patrons, Adam and I will go into our respective uh, X-Men Danger Room caves and we will watch the first X-Men movie maybe a couple of times, at least once. And then we'll come back and we'll have one of our traditional kind of nitpicky review type movies. We'll talk about the things we love, talk about the things we hate. There's going to be a different level if we're going to go down the path of a commentary track. Because if I do a commentary track, Adam, it's not going to be us sitting around babbling about the things we babble about normally. There'll be uh-huh. a little, there'll be a little bit of research and a little bit of, I don't know, not insider so, information, but insight maybe. So we're never going to do that is what you're saying. Well, we'll set that bar high. I don't know. <laughs> 200 patrons. I don't know. We'll just, we'll put that well, bar higher. I will be on board to blabber incoherently. <laughs> That's that the 25 patron level is blabbering incoherently about X-Men number one. And, and, and Hey, we are one fifth of the way there. Yeah, man. Five, 
of our 25 patrons. We've got a new level. We've got the Skirkle level. And I don't know if you spelled that right. I feel like there should be an apostrophe somewhere in there. You know, I didn't I didn't go back and look it up. So um, I, I one of these days I might I might change the Skirkle level to a Skirkle level. And uh, at the Skirkle level, we add you to the latest featured comic book. How are we going to do that? Well, you'll find out because uh, we we have somebody who signed up for this and we will be adding that shortly to an upcoming episode. So stay tuned. Yeah. So, And then once you find out what we're going to do, everybody's going to want it. Oh, my God. There's going to be so many $5 rolling in. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Uh, uh, so, again, thank you for those who have contributed. Uh, and thanks to those of you who will contribute because you want to hear our sweet, sweet comments on the original X-Men movie. The one that kicked off the superhero uh, the superhero movie phenomena, one could argue. Mm, y- yes-ish. No, definitely-ish. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with yes-ish. Okay. Well, do you just wait till we get to that podcast and, and I'll prove that it kicked off. Okay. The Marvel, I'm not the Marvel, but the, the comic Certainly book the Marvel. movie. I would agree with you about the Marvel. Revelation, rejuvenation, whatever. We'll talk about it then. So 20 more people. Okay. Moving on. We read more comic books. We always read more comic books. Which one do you want to tackle first? Well, since we were just talking about Nastier, we could talk about Exterminators number one. Okay. Exterminators number one officially kicks off Inferno or maybe as a prologue to Inferno. I think it says on the cover that it officially kicks off Inferno, but it I very loosely, I think. It says now begins Inferno, but then at the right. end of the issue it says next issue, Inferno. So... Uh, and we know that like uh, uh, Inferno is officially a few months away. Yeah, uh, or maybe half, or maybe maybe less than that because we're doing things on a biweekly basis. So this is uh, this this is the Exterminators and Nastier uh, is featured prominently in this issue. However, he is. Let me see here. Uh, it says in the title, introducing the menace of Nastir, but we saw him in Power Pack, and he was in a in a he was a interdimensional pilot. Um, I believe this is not his his first appearance, but in, you know, in Power Pack, he, he was like f- flying a jet, and he's like, "Who are you, and why are you talking to me?" And I feel like Sim was like calling him on his radio. No, I don't remember any of that. There were there were no jets. He was a, he was on a TV screen again. No, like way back in a power pack issue, he was flying like a like a spaceship. Oh man, I don't <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It was when they were trying to find babies, and they confused power pack with babies, and it was many episodes ago. The the very first appearance of Nastier is was in X Factor. 32 so the one with the avengers where he just shows up in like a cameo theme oh at the end of the issue and he's talking to cameron hodge well we who we speculated was cameron hodge did we did we ever confirm that we did okay uh that was the first appearance although i think the power pack one also might have come out though and that was the one where he was on the tv talking to 
um, whoever that person that kidnapped who had kidnapped the little girl. Yeah. Who was a mutant? Yeah, and the power pack went after that. This plane, him, right, him driving around in a plane. I don't remember that. You will have to dig that up for me because I don't remember that at all. All right, I'll look for. I'm it. not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying I need to see it. Feels like a weird thing for me to make up, but okay, <laughs> I'll try to find it. Anyways, this this issue says he comes from like the depths of limbo. And uh, he's only come up because Sim has called him because the soul sword keeps getting taken out of limbo and it's weakening the barriers between reality and limbo. And so that begins kind of the exterminator's story. Uh, They're looking for babies, I think, to turn them into demons. Uh, It's been a... Do we we actually know why they want the babies or do you you think it's just because they want to turn them into demons? I it's been a few weeks since I read this. I don't remember. There's like a, a crypt keeper that Nastir turns into a demon to yes. help them find the demons. And then the rest of the issue kind of revolves around all of the X Factor kids going to uh, two different schools. One is like a, a Warren Worthington uh, preppy sort of school uh, that I guess Warren, Warren also went to. And then the... Um, the, the two younger kids, uh, Leech and the other one. What's the other one's name? <laughs> Artie. Leech and Artie. Artie and Leech. Um, they go to another school where they meet up with Takashi. Takeshi? Take- something like that. Takeshi, who, who is a wheelchair-bound genius kid who also turns out to be a mutant. So the silly gimmick of this ep- issue or this whole series, I guess, is that the demons – don't know what babies are. And so the crypt keeper that they turn into a demon, he picks up a rat and he's like, I found a baby. And the steer's like, no, they're smaller and have large heads with no hair. And so, yes, uh, the demons find Leech and Artie and they're like, look, little ones with big bald heads. And they kidnap them. Meanwhile, this Takashi guy, he discovers he's a mutant he has the dumbest power. I don't, I'm not really sure what exactly like is his power revolve around his wheelchair. So, or does he just have the ability to turn things into other things? I think he, he has the ability to turn things into other things because you do see a panel of him, like fixing up some crazy Tesla looking radio. And then as leech gets closer, the whole radio falls apart, but it kind of turns into like, I can control my wheelchair and make it do anything I want it to do. And then the rest of the issue, and I think the rest of the series is basically he is the exterminators car or, <laughs> or plane or whatever the plot calls for. Because I don't think he transformed, well, at least in this issue, he doesn't really transform anything other than his wheelchair into other things. Uh, so after Artie and Leech are kidnapped, he turns his, his, uh, his, his, wheelchair into a tank and but he gets too close to leech and so it, his wheelchair turns back into a wheelchair i don't know it's dumb the goblins leave behind these um stick figures of leech and Artie, which is kind of funny effigies yeah this is crazy but if you know your myths leaving effigies in place of stolen children is classic goblin behavior classic classic i tell you so takashi is like He's going to go rescue them. 
Uh, he's going to go find the rest of X-Factor. Well, he's going to go find the re- X-Factor kids. Did we touch on um, Rusty has turned himself into the naval uh, police? Oh, right. That happens. Yeah. So he's going to serve his time. Uh, but we find out like there's like he wants to do it so that he can like like look mutants. We can be responsible for the things that we do and I'll be a spokesperson and I'll lead from within. But I believe there's a panel here where some people are like we're going to bury him so far deep in the prison system. Nobody will ever hear from him. Uh, and the rest of Exterminator hears that and like, oh, we got to break him out and we got to rescue Artie and Leech. So Takashi turns his wheelchair into a helicopter, which just seems like the most, like if you're going to turn your uh, wheelchair into a flying device, do you think a helicopter is the right thing to choose? I feel like that would be really <laughs> difficult to fly. He's working these powers out. I think there's sort of imagination based. So, you know, you got to give the kid some credit. Yeah. So yeah, he, uh, he goes to the fratern or the, the prep school picks up uh, the rest of the teenagers. They, they fly out to the prison. they, turn the wheelchair into a tank. They barge in. Rusty's like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm going to face my crime. And and then he's like, oh, fine, I'll come with you guys. <laughs> and they're off. And that's where it ends. They're yeah. going to rescue Artie and Leech. The weird thing about what Takashi turns his wheelchair into, it's it's a flying car, but the front end kind of looks like a Batmobile? Like one, yeah, it's totally Batmobile. <laughs> it's got like the two, it looks like the 66 Batman car with the two windshields, but then it looks like a newer version of the Batman with the front. Uh, it looks like a bat, I guess. It's very strange. Maybe he read some Batman comics. Oh, yeah. So that's what's happening with the X-Factor kids. In New Mutants number 69, um, I, this, this, I'm, I'm really losing, like, I'm having trouble following New Mutants, so I, I needed to write this down because, like, I read it, and then I was like, five minutes later, I was like, I don't remember what I just read. So I had to I had to go back in and write it down to figure out what the plot was. Oh, I thumbed through it. I was only interested in the one Magneto page. And I don't even remember what happens in that page. You'll have to tell me what happens. <laughs> and And... <laughs> And Ileana says one interesting thing, and the rest of the issue is like, I don't know what... Anyways, go ahead. The, not a lot is happening, that's, and that's part of the problem. So in the last issue, the New Mutant ship was about to be destroyed by a bigger ship, but Spider, who is the bad guy, uh, sees what's going on and stops that from happening. Then the kids land, Danny runs out of the streets to an alien-infested planet and gets attacked by various aliens who work for Spider because they have they're planning on kidnapping the kids. The kids are still confused because of Gossamer's power, which is causing them to all act hormonal, let's say. But they manage to eventually realize that Danny is in trouble and go help her. Warlock convinces Magic that Gossamer is influencing the team negatively and Magic, who is full-on Dark Child now, because they they needed to jump through limbo for a minute. Um, she attacks Gossamer with her soul sword, and it has different properties now, as far as I can tell. It stops Gossamer's power, releasing a giant soul beast or something, um, which is a strange panel where just like this huge shadow comes out of Gossamer. She also turns a robot into a demon, but I don't know what's going on. And she learns that she can't turn back from being Dark Child right now, which she blames Gossamer for. The kids eventually find Lila Shanae, <laughs> and you. they are captured by Spider in a cage. 
So what happens with Magneto? Well, there's one line, I, I think you, uh, from Ileana, where she says, Destiny said that I'm going to ignite an inferno. So that's a thing she says that's important, I guess. Uh, Magneto, he is just mad at the kids because <clears throat> they don't listen to him. Uh, he allowed Cannonball to go to Lila Shanae's concert, but now all of the new mutants are ga- gone. So basically he recaps the last two issues. Essentially. Uh, Emma Frost calls up. is like, I, I can help you find. Oh, yeah. Doesn't she yell at him and say, boy, if I was handling those kids. Yes, and then and then she's like, I suggest that you join me at the Hellfire Club. All I've wanted, or then Magneto goes on, talks about how he's wanted uh, peace for mutant kind, uh, and whatever. I thought I had found a better way to achieve my goal and eschewed my old ways. And as he's saying all of this, he puts on his old Magneto helmet, and he says uh, that he wants to protect them in the best that he knows, but they refuse to be safeguarded. If they are on Earth, I will find them. No, oh, and protect them the best way that I know how. So it's kind of like I will do anything I need to to protect them while I put my Magneto helmet on, which kind of tells me he is turning to his old ways. Yeah, but it's not. It's like I wish they would, if they're gonna if they're gonna go over that fence or jump over that edge. I wish they just do it and stop <laughs> stop dancing around. Do they? do it though i mean I'm, i have no idea i'm gonna be honest like from my my remembrance of magneto uh we you know we see him good in uh x-men 200 and through 209 ish in the x-men i never read new mutants so i never knew what was happening there the next time i saw magneto was in x-men number one where he's the bad guy and he's got he's got to be an inferno and he's got his al- al- acolytes i don't i mean he's probably an inferno from a new mutants perspective but like i said i never read new mutants when i was growing up so um, he's probably in a lot of stuff that we're just not thinking of like i, I bet i bet there's a few key appearances between now and x-men 1 i'm sure like, but like, i don't is, think isn't it... he a part of the um there's another event coming up where all of the uh the villains combine and I feel like Magneto's a part of that. Acts of Vengeance? Doesn't that happen before issue one? Yes, it definitely happens before issue one. So I'm pretty sure Magneto's a part of that, even though I've never read that. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I remember Acts of Vengeance just being confusing. The whole idea is that if the villains trade up their nemesises, maybe they can achieve their goals. I was, it sounds about right. I don't know. I, I know very little about it. Same here. I, 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 uh, the X-Men, there's two issues of X-Men that fall under the acts of vengeance storyline. Um, but they don't seem to can, like start. I mean, they, they are part, they are X-Men comics. Um, I think the only reason they're acts of vengeance is because they have, um, the daredevil villain, uh, from Madripoor, uh, oh. the guy that was in, uh, help me out of there. The guy that was in Iron Man 2 that everybody was mad about because he was Ben Kingsley. Oh, oh uh, the Mandarin. Mandarin, yeah. I think that was Iron Man 3. Oh, my bad. But Mandarin is in the pages of the X-Men, so they call that an Acts of Vengeance. And then I had a Spider-Man story, and I bought it because I thought it would be worth a lot of money because it says uh, on the cover, it said, this issue, Spidey goes cosmic. And I was like, oh, they're changing Spider-Man. They're going to make him a super powerful space hero. <laughs> but it was just a one shot of him getting cosmic powers and then giving them back. I thought he had cosmic power for a couple of issues, but no, yeah, maybe oh. it was a, I don't know. 
certainly oh, well. wasn't the beginning of a new uh, story for Spider-Man. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, can we quickly talk? Oh, no, no. We should probably talk about uh, uh, Marvel Age number four. Well, that comes after Marvel Comics Presents number 10. Oh, that's fine. I only have one thing to say about, wait, yeah, Marvel Comics Annual 4. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll save it. Okay. Because that'll, we'll, we'll close the episode with that because that'll literally take 30 seconds. <laughs> wait, you want to talk about Marvel Comics Presents number 10 first? Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yep, go. So I I went back and I reread the entire Wolverine thing. Oh, is it good? Uh, all 10 issues. Um, no, <laughs> it's not good, but it is better than reading it, uh, week by week, episode by episode and not following the whole thing. I did learn some things like, uh, in the, in, well, first of all, the whole thing, the whole story takes place over about a week, Okay, which that was kind of interesting to learn. Um, when Wolverine is being captured and tortured early on, uh, Roche puts out a cigar in his eye, oh, which is why he puts a patch on, which is why they start calling him Patch. I never knew that. And I missed it the first time I read it. So I'm glad I went back and read it just for that reason. Okay. And in the last issue, number nine, Staff, Sapphire Stick started calling him Patch for no reason whatsoever because I don't even think she'd seen him with a patch on at that point. Okay. But maybe, I don't know. And I'm not sure if that's the first Maybe I like I would have to go back and read it again, which I'm not going to do to find out if Patch did was somebody called him Patch earlier, but he does call himself Patch in this issue. No, I, I think I mean I didn't reread it like you did, but as far as I'm tracking, this is the first uh iteration of him being called Patch. Yeah, he does he does actually call himself Patch in this. He says, When I'm in Madripoor, I'm Patch. I'm not Wolverine. You know, which makes sense for protecting his identity and such. Uh, basically, this issue um, kind of wraps the whole thing up. Uh, people are killed. Uh, he, he kisses what's her face. Well, for, well, first they everybody thinks Wolverine is dead at the very end of this after Roach Roach gets killed. So the O'Donnell and Tiger Tiger think the Wolverine is dead. And they walk away and there's like, oh, that sucks. Except that Tiger Tiger is now the the, the major crime lord in Madripoor because they, they killed off Roche. Um, but then in a uh, follow-up couple of pages, Wolverine shows up as Patch and says what I just said. I'm Patch. And then he kisses Tiger Tiger. So I'm, I think there's some sort of romance brewing there. Mariko be damned. Yeah. Well, he knows when to cut his losses. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that that romance is ever really heavily followed up on. I know that this this is totally like all of these characters, O'Donnell and Patch and Tiger Tiger, are all in the Wolverine series that is about to come out. There is also a Colossus story in this, which yeah, there is a Colossus story in here, and uh, apparently, when Colossus goes to a carnival. He ends up finding the smuttiest newsstand ever. Was he at a carnival? I don't know. Is there's that a, what it was? There's a Ferris wheel. There's circus tents. There's okay. A, there's a there's a roller coaster. Is that a thing? Does no. do carnivals sell 
porn? <laughs> Not to my knowledge. I mean, certainly no, uh, no carnival I've ever been to. And I've been oh. looking. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Colossus is like, oh, you Americans and your freedom. This is what you do. And the newsstand guy's like, you don't like girls? He's like, I like girls, which is why I do not like this magazine. Uh, and he eventually gets so angry that he turns into Colossus. And the guy's like, you're one of them. You're a mutant. You're a freak. And Colossus goes running off. We flip our attention over to some picnickers who were picnicking. And I don't know, the boy throws his airplane into the forest where we see a couple of thugs who've got like a dude hog tied to a tree and they're beating him. And the boy's like, oh, my God. And that's when uh, these thugs grab the boy and hold a knife to his throat. Yikes. Yeah. I mean. And we don't like this boy because he's kind of a jerk. Yes. Uh, I feel like he's going to learn a little bit uh, about uh, freedom and America when Colossus saves him. Freedom in America, Colossus style. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this story is is weird because it starts off, the artwork is very cartoony. This it's whole, Rick Leonardi. It is Rick Leonardi. And, and in, in this vein, like, I don't like Rick Leonardi drawing my X-Men comics. Oh, uh, there's also like a swastika magazine and an EPA KGB pamphlet. Oh. Really weird newsstand and lots of porn. <laughs> But it starts off like all cartoony and I don't, I guess I don't mind it in this context because it's like, I don't know, like, is this canon? Is it not canon? It doesn't matter. Uh, And the whole issue is just like cartoony and this picnic and everything. And then you turn the page and it's like these dudes just beating the crap out of this guy and getting ready to slice his throat open. You're like, well, this took took an unexpected turn. it uh, It's written by Innocenti, who is typically, uh, from what I've read, likes likes the uh, darker side of things, likes kind of playing around in that area. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll cover we'll cover that from here so, on out in Marvel Comics Presents, the Colossus story. So what did you want to say about Marvel Age Annual number four? Well, uh, the only thing, I mean, it's basically uh, Wolverine kind of is retelling what's been happening in the mutant universe for the last few months and he gets to the x-factor portion and he's like and these are the x-factor this is x-factor they started off as x-men by charles xavier you got iceman beast cyclops marvel girl angel call themselves x-factor thing that really bothers me about that outfit is marvel girl jean gray i know her scent as well as i do my own i know it's her trouble is she's supposed to be dead what the heck so am i so uh i don't think whoever wrote this Chris Claremont. He did? Yeah. He's not paying attention to the other things <laughs> that Chris Claremont is writing because, like, we're going to learn, spoilers for those of you who don't want to hear it, like, skip past, like, a few minutes, that that he, 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 he has picked up her scent, but he did it at a point where he was questioning his senses. So to, for him to make this declarative statement of, thing that really bothers me about that outfit is Marvel Girl, Jean Grey. So I don't think this is canon. I don't um, think so either. Because it's basically Wolverine running around Madripoor as a setup for the new Wolverine comic that's coming out. And the X-Factor ship flies over Madripoor. What? <laughs> and then the New Mutants and Excalibur and the X-Men also all show up in Madripoor. And it's just like, 
it's basically like a advertisement for all the things that are going on in uh in in mutantdom right now including the upcoming inferno and wolverine somehow miraculously changes costume every three panels right so that's my thing it's interesting as a timepiece for where the x-men were but yeah it doesn't make any sense from a continuity standpoint no the other thing that is is interesting so it's marvel age and, and marvel age was was great for these little little tiny stories for Bushman, and then talking about what's happening in other comics around the Marvel Universe. Uh, but the one that caught my eye was the promo for Havoc Wolverine Meltdown. Oh, that's coming. Which uh, I've never read. And I've I'm, never read it either, but I remember seeing it in the comic, or not in the comic shop, on the newsstand, and being very intrigued. It was just weird looking. Uh, that's why I didn't buy it. Two reasons I didn't buy it. First, it was expensive. And second, That's probably why I didn't buy it. The cover, it's it's painted. Wolverine's hair is like out of control. Uh, yeah, and very stylized Wolverine. I didn't. I was I was uh, intimidated by. I was like, oh, this is ugly. It's gross looking. I think I even flipped through a couple of pages, and I was like, Ugh. now I, that I'm I believe older, that's the comic where two different people draw Wolverine and Havoc. So all the havoc is done by one artist, and all the Wolverine is done by a different artist. Well, now that I I'm think. now that I'm older, so it's written by Luis and Walt Simonson. So right there, that's that's a very interesting writing dynamic, and I think you're right here. It's illustrated by John J. Muth and Kent Williams. So one's doing one, one's doing the other. Uh, it's painted, I think. So I'm I we definitely need to cover it because uh, I totally overlooked it when it first came out. Um, but I am intrigued by the artwork and just the, I don't know, the creative team behind it. So cool. Look forward to that, folks, because we're covering it. Heck yeah. Yeah. And it also didn't seem to make sense because, like, where does this fit in the story? Like, because I think this came out uh, soon, right? So I think it came out maybe uh, either during the Genosha storyline or during the Inferno storyline. It's like, I don't know where to place this in my collection do i read it before <laughs> yeah. inferno do i read it after Inferno? and realize like some things just don't matter some things you can just read and enjoy yeah like this colossus story i don't think it has a real place <laughs> yeah i don't remember there might have been some like oh the x-men have given me some free time and here i am reading smut <laughs> i don't know all right folks that's uh that's it for this week yes sir you got anything else, Adam? This issue? Spidey goes cosmic. <laughs> Buy it. It's going to be worth a lot of money. <laughs> well, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. <laughs>